0: this morning i want to i want to share with you i've titled my message which way is up and you know it seems obvious we know which way is up you look up towards the sun that way is up but then some would say is it really so it's it's a matter of sometimes our perspectives and i'm I'm taking this verse or this message from Acts chapter 17. In Acts 16 and 17, Paul is on his missionary journey. He wants to go one place, and God says no. He wants to go another place, and God says no. God, he goes down to Troas, and God says, "Go to a different place." And then, as he goes to this place that God opened the door for, there's some difficulty. And and I want to pick up in the midst of this difficulty in Acts 17, verses 5 through 17. This is what it says. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar. So we want to notice, Paul is not the one that set the city in an uproar. It was the, the jealous men who came from another place, because they heard Paul was teaching there, and they're like, we don't like what he's teaching. We're gonna follow Paul, and we're gonna cause trouble. Okay, so trouble is caused. They attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, speaking of Paul and his traveling companions, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, they've come here. And Jason has received them. And they all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. All right, so here we have Paul being accused. These men who have turned the world upside down. Do you notice when somebody is discontent, when somebody is jealous, sometimes they have a tendency to exaggerate the situation? Paul hadn't turned the world upside down yet, but his teaching would. They were actually prophetic in what they had to say, but they blew the situation out of proportion. They made things... Um, bigger than they were. They really didn't even have the authority to do so because this was not their hometown. They followed Paul up there from his last place and they're causing trouble for Paul. But in reality I want to challenge our thinking, Paul was not returning the turning the world upside down. He is restoring the world to God's proper order. Um, And that word upside down is very interesting because in the Greek it doesn't just mean to be confused. It has a much deeper meaning. It literally means to unsettle or disturb, and not just, oh, that doesn't seem right. It literally means to make homeless or outcasts from their former settlements. Metaphorically, it would mean to be unsettled in your allegiance to civil or spiritual leaders. What these men were accusing Paul of doing is making them spiritual refugees in their own land. Because what Paul was teaching was so revolutionary that it challenged their thoughts and mind of everything they had ever heard before. But what Paul was teaching was the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is you may not know if you're living upside down because it's all about your perspective. The Jews believed they knew the truth. You know, Paul, before he became Saul, was convinced that he knew the truth. He was so convinced that he was willing to condone murder of those that would teach against the truth. He was so convinced that he understood the scriptures that he went and got papers so he could persecute and arrest anyone who followed the way of Jesus Christ. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. It didn't change overnight. In fact, we learned Paul Paul went to a special university It's a university God reserves for those that he's really going to use. We call it the backside of the desert. Moses is a graduate of the backside of the desert. Maybe you yourself have found yourself in the desert and earning your degree in the backside of the desert. But it was there for several years that God had to take everything that Paul thought was truth and say, no, your unregenerate mind, your worldly thinking has led you to your own conclusions. Let me teach you what I really meant. And Paul began to understand the scriptures didn't change. I want us to notice that. The Old Testament scriptures didn't change. Paul's perspective of the scriptures changed when he came in line with the word of God. Paul used the same scriptures to prove that Jesus was the son of God. That were used to prove he wasn't because he got a godly perspective in what was going on. So, sometimes we get so caught up in the way of doing things that we can't think anything differently. So, I'm going to show a video in just a second, but before I show the video, I have to issue this disclaimer. I am not a health insurance salesman. I I do not endorse one health insurance over another health insurance. I have not been paid to show this commercial, but I believe this commercial gives us an idea of how thinking can be changed. There's a new insurance company called Forward Health. And their whole premise is, we've all been doing healthcare backwards. Let's watch this video. Hi, I'm here for my 11 o'clock appointment. For 11 o'clock? Hi. Hi, I'm Forward, and this is health insurance. (gasps) Behold, the demon portal! The what now? Fie on your hexes! using that hellish thing. This thing? That's my smart screen. It's what I use to work with my members on their health. Things like test results, genetics, care plans, medical history, uh, disease risks. It even works remotely when you don't need to see your doctor in person. Teleportation! It's as I feared. Holy water. Holy water! The power of legacy health insurance can pass you! So no more horror movies for you. So they've built their whole premise of their healthcare companies. If you're tired of the way they're doing it, come to us and we'll do it different. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's what their commercials say. A proper perspective helps you to determine if you're living right side up or upside down. In reality, Paul's teaching was correct as it was restoring humanity to a right relationship with God. Paul understood that if we were going to be successful as Christians, your mind had to be renewed. And uh, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he said, Do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to the world." In other words, we don't have to accept or adopt the world thinking, because God wants to renew our mind. Just like he renewed Paul's mind, he wants to renew our mind. Um, I already mentioned, while, while Paul was still Saul, he was a student of scripture, and he thought he understood the scriptures, but God had to teach him what he really meant. It was because of Paul's new perspective that he is accused of challenging the established spiritual and cultural mindset of his day. Literally, what Paul was teaching was mind-blowing to both religious people and those who were spiritually hungry. Before we explore what it means to walk right, right side up in an upside down world, I want to identify the underlying decision making process for both perspectives. There are, there are key thoughts, there are key perspectives that we use to filter decisions and actions that we make. And we may not even realize them until the time is taken to identify them. And if, you're, if your mind is backwards, if you're living with an unregenerated mind, if your mind, the renewal process in your mind, is not complete, you may find yourself following some of these perspectives and thinking they're the right way. So we want to identify the the misconceptions or the perceived truths of upside-down living. Someone who follows, someone who's upside-down, they make a mistake in thinking it's all about the big three. Size, strength, and security. It's all about, am I bigger than the problem or is the problem bigger than me? It's about strength. Am I stronger or is it stronger? How many friends am I going to need to get on my side to intimidate this problem into doing what I want it to do? It's about security. Can I survive the worst case scenario? How much money do I have in the bank? How much time off do I have from work? How much this and how much that? That's what security is put in when you have the world's mentality or the world's thinking. You're thinking that if it's going to be, it's up to me, and I've got to have the strength to handle it. I've got to be bigger than it. I've got to man up. I have to be able to survive. It's a misconception. Another misconception of um, or perceived truth of upside-down living is that moving forward equals advancement. As long as I'm moving forward, I'm making advancement. We see Paul wanted to go to Asia in Acts 16, and God said no. He went to another place, and God said no. God kept on closing doors on Paul until he went down to Troas. Okay, the scriptures are clear. He went down to Troas. He seemed to be going backwards. And while he was in Troas, God gave him a dream. See, sometimes we have to move to the side. We might have to move backwards in order to advance. But somewhere, a lie has been sown in the church that as long as I'm busy, as long as I'm I'm keeping to moving, I'm advancing. And, And when we do that, we develop a works mentality. God hasn't called us to a works mentality. He's called us to have a redeemed mind. So we can begin to think, as long as I'm busy, God is happy. Martha... The, the sister of Mary had this works mentality. Jesus comes to the house of Martha and Mary. It was both their house. And Mary sits at the feet of Jesus where Martha goes and gets busy. She's preparing the refreshment. She's making sure everything's ready. And as she's doing this, she's just getting upset and more upset. There's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, leaving me to do all the work. Doesn't she understand her role of hospitality? Doesn't she know this is a time to be busy? It's all about our guests. She gets so worked up, she goes to Jesus. Okay, Martha goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you please tell Mary to help me? And Jesus has to instruct Martha. Mary's doing what's important. She's spending time with Jesus because I won't be here forever. Dirty dishes, you'll always have them. Trust me, you wash them, they show back up in your sink. There will always be things that you can do. Now service is very important and we need to find our place to serve but we must not fall prey to the mentality that as long as I'm busy I'm moving where God wants me to move. We need to make sure that we're serving where God has called us to serve because there that's where you get life. That's where you get replenished. That's where you feel more complete. So God's called us to serve, definitely. God's called us to be busy in the kingdom, definitely. But we need to make sure that we're busy in the right place and not fall prey to this thinking or this mentality, as long as I'm busy, it's good. It's a lie. Um, Another misconception is that it's our responsibility to accept the norm and go along with the masses, whether you agree with them or not. (gasps) Don't make waves. Okay? You need to be a witness and your witnesses to quietly Follow Jesus. Just, just, you know, just don't, don't get too excited. And see, it, it's a lie that's, that's been sown, and in some churches, they actually teach it. They, they, they forget the verse that we are not of this world, that God has called us to stand up and stand out and to speak the truth for him. So we must never just accept the norm. It's not our responsibility to go with, with, the, um, with the masses. Another misconception is is living for the immediate. It's all about the here and now. All right? I need to get what I can out of life now. The the, the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. Speaking of the vanity of things, I've got to enjoy what I can enjoy now. That cake looks good. I want that cake now. I'll worry about what it does to my waist later. I want it now. Um, and we can get caught in this trap of living for the immediate and not having the proper perspectives. Number The the last one here, number five, is um, they're limited to what they understand or have experienced. It's all about the tangible experience. Can I touch it? Can I see it? Can I feel it? Can I take it apart and see how it works? If I can't, then I can't believe it. See, and this is, this is a challenge to us because God calls us to walk in faith. God calls us to trust Him. But if I have to see it, if I have to understand it first, then I'm stuck. And I'm going backwards instead of forwards. God calls us to, to trust in Him. So we have these five perceived truths or misconceptions. It's not about your size and your strength. It's not about simple movement. It's not about going along with the masses. It's not about living for the immediate. It's not about having to touch or see or feel something in order to experience it. No, there's truths that follow the right-side living, all right? And if we want to embrace a right-side life, we have to embrace these truths. A regenerated mind believes that God matters. Not size, not strength, not security. It understands that God's got this and he'll handle it for me in romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 33 says this what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That's Romans eight thirty one through thirty three. Jesus said in Luke eighteen twenty seven, "What is impossible with men is possible with God." And then Paul again in Philippians four nineteen says, "And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus." We need to begin to understand that. God matters, and God has all of this. There's no mountain too tall. There's no obstacle too complex. There's no force too mighty that our God is not able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. That's what our God has promised to do for us. I don't have to be strong enough. It's God's job. To be strong enough I don't I don't have to be bigger than the problem because my God is bigger than the problem every regenerated mind believes that God matters a mind that has been renewed is one that believes that walking in step with the Holy Spirit matters it's not about moving forward it's about moving where God has taken you to move and, and, and Acts 16 is a, is a great example of this. In Acts 16, Paul shares how he's been prevented from sharing the gospel in Asia. So he attempts to go to another place, but the Spirit again prohibits him. Has this ever happened to you? Have you made plans to do one thing? Not, not a bad thing. It, it's not bad to take the gospel to Asia. It just wasn't God's time or plan for Paul at this point. All right, so, so you make plans to go and do something and then the doors close. Now, in worldly thinking and worldly mentality, what do we do? We go find a battering ram. And says, oh, it's just stuck. Let me open this door. And if we're not careful, the door opens. Then, yeah. You're ready to go, but then God says, no. God says, not now. What you do at this time determines if you're living right side up or upside down. It was not until Paul went down to Troas that he received the green light to go to Macedonia. Acts 16 verses 9 and 10 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel there. You know, I always chuckle when I read that verse because he gets this vision from nowhere. There's a man calling him and Paul says, hmm, I think maybe that's where God wants us to go. And you know, God will make his direction clear if we seek him I also always found it interesting that in Paul's vision it was a man calling him when he gets there he meets a woman named Lydia who was a key component in the gospel in that area we have to be open for God to close one door so he can open an even better door See, we have to actually be able to believe that God can close this door that I spent so much time planning, I wrote, I wrote the mission statement for, I, I established everything we were supposed to do, I have my five points why we need to do it, and God says no. So we have to be able to trust him that as he closes that door, he's doing it because he's opening an even better door. See, and that takes faith. You can't touch that. You, you can't understand that, that's something that you do by faith. Five and a half years ago, Holly and I, I came to Virginia, and we, we would call ourselves now, Reluctant Virginians. We came here reluctantly because God was closing a door, but we weren't quite ready for that door to close. And God had, God had to help us to understand, quit knocking on a door that I closed. And, and we moved in faith that God was calling us here, and the way God got us here was, it's for a short season. And then as we came, we began to see God was opening an even bigger door that I wouldn't have been open to if I didn't have the faith to believe that as God closes one door, he's opening another door. Closed doors aren't always for bad things, they can be. God can close the door because, no, oh, that's gonna get you in too much trouble. But he can also close the door because he says i have a better plan for you where you need to be more effective for this season god can close the door and open it again in the future in another season but part of walking in step with the holy spirit is saying god where do you have me to serve where do you have me to grow where do you have me to just become a better christian and believer today in this season god where are you planting me and god Help me to grow where I'm planted. Someone that has the mind of Christ is willing to think unconventionally. Acts 17, in Acts 17, Paul has been teaching to the Jews, he's been reasoning to the Jews daily. Many are believing and many are upset. But in in this area, you you had a segment of Greek philosophers. And and in this day, they would spend all day long sitting around just talking about lofty things, sharing ideas, sharing perspectives. And some of them heard what Paul was teaching and they said, this man is either mad or he's a genius. We should listen to him. So they invited Paul to come and speak. And here we see Paul kind of using some unconventional thinking as he does this, in Acts 17, verse 22, Paul's been invited by these learned men. All right, these men were open to kind of anything you would say. And 17, 22 says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragapis, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And Paul began to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us in, in a religious mindset, we would say, Oh, you got quit serving so many gods. You're doing it wrong. You don't understand. I have the truth, and you're all deceived. But Paul says, you know, when I was I was walking by, I noticed this statue. That really shows me that that you're recognizing that all the gods you're worshiping, they're not all that in a bag of chips. You must still be wanting something else. Let me introduce you to the God that is enough. Let me introduce you to the God that will satisfy. He didn't judge them for their hunger. He fed their hunger in a way that they could receive. That was unconventional thinking. He met them where they were at. But he didn't leave them where they were at. He forced them to come to a decision to accept or reject Jesus Christ. If we're going to reach people, we have to think outside of the box that's been established by unregenerated minds. And we have to begin to think like someone who's had their minds transformed. Paul's teaching was so revolutionary that you either embraced it and followed his teaching or you rejected him as a heretic. There wasn't many in the middle. You didn't find many people that saying, wow, I, you know, I really like Paul as a teacher. He, he, he's a really good teacher. I just, you know, what he's teaching, I might be a little far-fetched. No, they either loved him or they hated him. Because what he was saying was so revolutionary, and he didn't just say it. He forced them to act on it. Paul never just taught the truth. He taught you how to live it as well. You go back and you read his book. He tells you what you need to do, and then he tells you how to do it. So he took things out of the world of philosophy, and he brought it down to daily living, walking it out. The regenerated mind must not be conformed to the thinking of everyone else. We we can think about it this way. God has a record of doing things in unexpected ways. Go to any book of the Bible and you'll find God doing something differently than people expected him to do it. Old Testament, New Testament. Go back and reflect on your life and when God has done something, how often does he do it the way you expected him to do it? And how often does he do it in some totally unexpected way that was so cool? We're like, why didn't I think of that? Okay, if God works that way, we have to begin to think and expect that way. The the Jews were fine with Jesus being the son of God until he didn't overthrow Rome. See, they were okay with him being the king if he was going to get rid of Rome. But when he died on a cross and Rome was still in control, they couldn't handle that because that's not how they expected God to work. So Paul's coming in and he's teaching them, no, his kingdom is so much bigger than Jerusalem. His his kingdom has so much better for you than a physical location, and you need to see. We, when, when we don't think outside of the box, we will run the risk of missing God when he moves in an unexpected way. Because I can guarantee you, most often, God's going to do it unexpectedly. That might mean quickly. It might mean really slow. But when he does it, we won't expect the way he accomplished it. And we should be, and that's part of unconventional thinking. When, when God, is, God is challenging us to do something, when God is challenging us to go somewhere, we need to begin to think, God, how should I be thinking about that situation? I know I, I've gone into a situation with, with pastors in Africa where there's lots of excitement, not in a good way, because someone's done this and someone's done that, and, and I've gotten them all in the room, and before I go in the room, I said, Lord, How should we be looking at this situation? And God has shown me the heart of the issue that takes all of this excitement and brings it to silence and repentance. Because they realized their perspectives were wrong. And and, and that's, that's how God works. But we have to expect Him and we have to begin to think, how can I think unconventionally? Someone who has the mind of Christ is willing to think unconventionally. The renewed believer lives in light of eternity. It's not about the here and now, it's about eternity. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, for this light momentary affliction... Just, just stop and dwell on just that for a minute. This light, momentary affliction. Paul's writing this. We know what Paul, re, Paul put up with: shipwreck, stonings, mobs following him around, tr- causing trouble, uh, closed doors. So many things. But in Paul's mind, because he was thinking about eternity, he refers to these as light, momentary afflictions is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul understood that once your mind is renewed, you are free from the temporal thinking of the world. And you begin to view things from a different perspective. You develop an eternal view of things. I remember hearing a missionary and pastor, Jack Dunnigan, one time teaching a message, and he titled it, Payday Someday. And he asked everyone to raise their hand. How many of you go to work and it's all about the payday? That check comes and you're like, well, I have my house for another month. I have my bills paid. And you're working for that payday. And he, and he said, that's okay. He goes, but as Christians, God has called us to work for a payday someday. And and we make sacrifices today because we know in eternity it's a lot longer than whatever time we have here on earth. And, and, And sometimes our perspective needs to be changed. What I'm doing here on earth is not about the immediate, it's about the eternal. And I'm going to invest in things that are eternal. Have you ever noticed when a person of means comes towards the end of their life, they want somehow to be remembered. So they start building hospital wings. They start building things and naming them after them. They start petitioning to get a street named after them if they're important enough or an airport or, or you know whatever it is because they want to be remembered after they've left. Because they realize that if they don't go to these efforts in a, a few years people will say, who? But when you drive down the street, you remember the person. When you visit the airport that it's named after, you remember the person. When you go into the hospital and that wing is named after that person, you think, wow, that must have been a very important person. See, they seek to somehow uh, settle for themselves a place where they will be remembered. But even if they're remembered for hundreds of years, that's nothing in the light of eternity. Because what's written in God's book about you is what matters most. The things we do to build the kingdom of God have eternal value, a value that will outlast our lifetime. The last truth of upside living is that if you are truly transformed, then you expect the impossible. And I'll go as far as to say, not only do you expect the impossible, you anticipate it. See, it's one thing to say, yes, I believe that God can do the impossible. Yes, I believe that God can do the impossible for you. But sometimes we have a hard time coming to the realization that not only can God, but God wants to do the impossible in my life. Because when we look at our own life, what do we see? We see our shortcomings. We see where we haven't done things right. We, we see where we, in our mind, we don't measure up. And, and, and sometimes we, 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 we don't even have the faith to pray that God will do the impossible for us. But if your mind is renewed, you begin to understand. And if you're living right side up, you walk in the realization that not only can God, God wants to do the impossible through me. And you expect to see the impossible. You don't just believe for it, you expect it. There's a difference. I can believe God can do something without expecting Him to do it in my life. God wants to bring us to the place where we expect Him to do the impossible in our lifetime. John 14, 12, Jesus Jesus speaking says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. If we serve the God of the impossible, we should expect to see the impossible in our lives. The God that parted the Red Sea for Israel, the God that reversed the events in the book of Esther, the God that raised Jesus from the dead, the God that converted Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus is capable of reversing our irreversible situations. Maybe you're here today and and it seems that you've been stuck in a rut and there's no way out. Maybe someone's told you, just accept it. Move on. Don't, don't, don't fight it. But God's here to say, and God wants to hear you, hear you hear, he, he, mm. God wants you to hear this today. He's the one that's fighting your battles. He's the one that's got this. He's the one that's handling this. And if God be for us, who can be against us? When waiting for the impossible, it's helpful to always remember that verse, Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who? can be against us, who has the right to stand against the power of the Almighty God? If our mind is truly transformed, we anticipate the impossible. Now as as we're coming to a close this morning, I want to look at ways that we embrace the upside life. We've identified misconceptions, we've identified truths as part of our decision-making process. Now here's where it comes down to reality. This is how we live it out. If I'm embracing the upside life, then I am willing to participate in kingdom living. I begin to realize that God has called me to live differently than those around us. I remember um, a young man that was playing uh, basketball at Oregon State in his freshman year. He was a Christian and he was playing way back at the time that A.C. Green was was playing and um, he was very vocal about his testimony And he was deciding to go out and party one night and A.C. Green pulled him aside and said, you know what, that might be okay for other people, but not for you. Because you made a public testimony. And he told him, others may, but you may not. And it transformed Darryl Flowers' life because he began and he realized that when he made a testimony for Jesus Christ, that testimony meant that he had to watch carefully what he did and live differently. He had to participate in kingdom living. He said to them, John 8, 23, Jesus, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. God has called us to live differently than everyone else. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 12, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so by not relying on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. God's called us to realize that we need to participate in kingdom living. Participate means you're involved. How do we participate? Number one, you know the rules. Now, there's been occasions in our house where where we've played a game and this is my perspective, my my boys might have a different perspective, but we've been playing a game and suddenly in the middle of the game the rules seem to change (laughs) and suddenly they're wanting to see the rule book because they're trying to find a way to make sure it's fair for them. So we can't participate in something if we don't know the rules. What are the rules of Kingdom living? John uh, John laid them out very simply in 1st John. Uh, In 1 John 3, 23, he said, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. What are the rules? Believe and love. He says everything else falls into place if you do those things. You believe in Jesus and you love. We have to know the rules. We have to follow the rules. We have to follow or practice the rules. It's not enough to know them. We have to follow them. What are the rules we have to follow? Love God and others. Uh, 1 John 4 20. Whoever claims to love God and hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. We have to follow the rules, we have to be willing to practice them. We have to be willing to love. That's what marks us as a Christian. And then lastly, you have to trust the rules. You have to believe that, that the rules God has established for kingdom living are good rules and they're not going to change. Uh, in Hebrews 6.18 it says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set for us. We trust the rules. We hold fast. We realize God does not lie his word is secure, it's yes and amen, you can take it to the bank. If we're going to have um, a lifestyle that, that's embracing the upside life, we have to uh, participate in kingdom living. We have to make a decision and realize we are not of this world. God has called us to a different standard. It may be okay for some, but it's not okay for the children of God. And we have to embrace it and live by it. The next thing we have to do is we have to prepare to have an impact. God wants us to make a difference. And we have to prepare to have that impact. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 and 11 is the introduction to the full armor of God. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Face it, when you wore armor, especially in those days, it was in total preparation for impact. The armor didn't help you, but it saved you. The armor would restrict your flow. The armor would slow you down, but the armor would say save your life. You were preparing for the chance that you get, got hit with an arrow. You were preparing for a chance that you might get hit by a sword, and you depended on that armor to protect you. You didn't put it on to look good. You did it on. You put it on as an act of preparation for impact. Face it, impact cannot be avoided. You can either rush into the world unprepared, and the world's going to impact you and knock you off course. You can, go in, you, can, you can go into the world with noble ideas and great thoughts, not following the Holy Spirit, and the world's going to slap you right back down that ladder. And the world's going to impact you, or you can prepare. You can be ready to make a difference. You can put on the full armor of God and go out in the world, and you're the one that's making the impact on others. Paul understood the need to be prepared to stand strong and make a difference. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body And I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul had one focus. That was to obtain the prize that God had for him. And, you know, we have to have one focus to fulfill what God has for us. And Paul said, you know what? My body doesn't always want to do it. I mean, think about it. Do you think that Paul woke up and said, today would be a great day to be stoned? Man, I hope they arrest me and beat me again. That was so much fun. But Paul said, no. I make my body do what it has to do and what happens, happens, because I know God's got this. He had the eternal perspective. Paul prepared to have an impact, and when hardships came, they didn't shipwreck him. His faith was still firm, because he made a preparation. He was ready. next thing we have to do if we're going to participate, or if we're going to be part of an upside life, is we have to partner with the Holy Spirit and others. We have to partner with the Holy Spirit and others. When Jesus was was talking to the disciples and he was telling them that they had to go, they're like, no, you can't leave us. We need you. Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I have to go so God could send you someone greater. Because Jesus' time was finished and it was entering into the season of the Holy Spirit to be with us here on earth. And he said in John 16, verses 13 and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And and that whole idea of the Holy Spirit will guide you, it paints a picture of a coach. It, it paints a picture of the coach that, that runs alongside of you when you're training and encourages you in your training. The coach that pushes you to go a little bit farther. to The, the coach that, that teaches you how you can get the most out of your energy. The coach that teaches you how to win the prize. And he says, you have to understand, I'm leaving so the Holy Spirit can come so that he can walk with you and that you can accomplish everything God has determined for you. He's not going to ask you to do anything I wanted to ask you to do. He wouldn't ask you to teach anything that I haven't taught because he's coming to lead you, to guide you in all truth. God never expects us to do it alone. We have the constant promise of the Holy Spirit going with us. But it's not there. Not only did he send the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in truth, he sends others to stand alongside us in ministry as well. And sometimes we might struggle with this because we think it's up to me. But God says no. It's so much more than you. Uh, in Titus and Second Corinthians, chapter eight, and verse twenty-three, this is just one example. Uh, Paul's writing, and he says, "As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches that glorify Christ. God will place other people in our life to help us." Sometimes we may not even know that other people are assisting us because they're praying for us. And we don't know that they're praying for us. Sometimes we'll know because they show up every time we need them. They're just there. Why are they there? Well, they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we all need those people in our life that will help us through the good and the bad and the ugly. And will tell us when we're being ugly so that we can be good. Uh, Some of these people, Paul surrounded him by... He surrounded himself by people like this. You have Timothy, you have Titus, you have Silas, you have Barnabas, you have Aquila, you have Priscilla, you have Lydia. The list goes on and on. In every city that Paul went, what did he do? He found others to help him with his mission and his goal. Because Paul knew he was temporarily there and he needed to leave it in the hands of capable people when he left. So Paul never had the mentality, I'm building my kingdom. He said, I'm building God's kingdom. And there's room, there's always room for people to come and stand alongside and to build with us. Because it's not about me, it's about God. We need to partner with the Holy Spirit and others. We need to realize that God doesn't expect us to do it alone. He never called us to do it alone. And he's promised to provide what we need. Next, we have to persevere through disappointment and hardship it's interesting. God opened the door for them to go. And when they went up there, they had the mobs trying to attack them. When they went up there in Acts 16 and 17, Paul and Silas find themselves in jail. They're beaten. When they're up there, all of these things go on. Hardships. You know what? Even when God opens the door, there's not a promise that it's, everything's going to be easy. What God calls us to do is persevere through the hardships. God calls us to persevere through the disappointment. In uh, Philippians 3.12-14, through 14, Paul wrote, Not that I have already obtained this or i am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul and his team had endured rejection, closed doors, unlawful beatings, imprisonment, and more, yet they continued to persevere. Because they maintained a proper perspective in the face of disappointment and hardship, Lydia... Jason, the Philippian jailer, and their households became believers and were baptized. Because they persevered, the good news of Jesus Christ was spread to new territories, and many believed and were baptized. Yes, they faced disappointment and hardship, but they persevered through and saw victories. Last point we want to look at is if you're going to participate in kingdom living, you have to pass on what you know to faithful people. I don't know specifically what God has called you to do, but I do know it's bigger than you. God's plans are always bigger than us, and God's plans outlive us. If you want to build a legacy that matters, you invest in people. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul wasn't thinking about the next generation. Paul was thinking about two generations. Paul knew when he was gone that Timothy and Titus and Silas, they would continue the work that he started, but he was instructing them to make sure that they followed his example, that they identified faithful men and they they taught these faithful men and they entrusted the truths to faithful men so that these men could continue to run when they were gone. We have to pass on what we know to faithful people. When we embrace kingdom principles, we realize that God's plans for us are bigger than us. It's our responsibility to pass on what we have learned to faithful individuals so they can pick up where we left off and continue to run the race on our behalf. Which side is up? What is your perspective today? Have you settled which way is up? Have you rejected the perceived truths that accompany upside-down living? It's all about the big three, moving forward, accepting the norm, living for the immediate. Uh, Are you limited to what you can understand, what you can touch, and what you can feel, what you can experience? Or are you in the process of embracing the truths? God matters. Are you willing to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to think unconventionally, expect the impossible? Are you willing to live in the light of eternity are you willing to allow god be god in your life whatever that means in your life right now are you purposefully renewing your mind let's stand maybe maybe something that was said this morning has sparked you maybe you identified a a perceived truth and you said you know what i've I've swallowed that lie and you want to correct that today. We we want to pray for you. Maybe you're just struggling because the hardships have been hard. Because the disappointments, they've been devastating. And, And you don't want to stand on your own anymore. You don't have to. We want to pray with you. I want to ask the altar ministry to come forward. And I'm going to close in a word of prayer and then... Uh, If you would like specific prayer about any of these things or anything else, we have people here at the altar for you. Father, right now we come before you and we ask you to continue your process of renewing our minds. Father, we, 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 we ask for this process to be continued by making the decision to participate in kingdom living. By on a daily basis preparing and expecting to have an impact on those around me. Lord, we renew our commitment to partner and walk in step with Holy Spirit and others. Father, we we declare that we want to persevere through the disappointment and hardship. And Father, we ask that you help us to identify faithful people that we can pass on these truths to them, Lord. We thank you, Lord, in the name of your son.